Hello and welcome. My name is Uncle Sean and I am here reading to you today Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Canelli. Today we are reading chapter 7, part 2 of 3. So without further ado, let's get started. On the way back to the wall, the duo stopped at Rachel's house, landing on the rooftop. After carefully surveying the area and seeing no soldiers in the courtyard, Nicholas reported, no sign of the soldiers, but they may be inside. We must proceed with caution. Let me lead the way. Rachel nodded and followed Nicholas down the stone stairs to the door of the upper rooms. As he reached the door, the wind blew it open. The rooms inside were dark and vacant. Then a ceramic crash broke the silence from downstairs. Nicholas looked to Rachel and held a finger to his lips. She nodded and watched as Nicholas descended the stairs to investigate. What are you doing here? Chud yelled as he stepped out from the darkness. You made me break a jar. You might try lighting a lamp, Nicholas said. That way no one will think you're a burglar. A burglar, Jude said. You were the one breaking in, Magi. Jude, Rachel said, descending the steps into the lower room. How did you escape capture? I saw the soldiers and fled. They only wanted him, Jude said, looking at Nicholas. Senator Claudius demanded an arrest after all that mess at the arena, so they took Abe instead. I tried to reason with them, but you know how reasonable the Romans are. I did manage to hide the sack of playthings, though. What good fortune, Nicholas said. Good fortune, Jude said. Abe has been arrested for your crimes. How is that a good fortune? Calm yourself, Jude, Rachel said. Where are the playthings? Father wants us to deliver them. Has everyone lost their minds, Jude said. Both Nicholas and Rachel stared at Jude, intently waiting for his answer. I hid them in the stable loft, if you must know. I shall retrieve them, Nicholas said. He hurried out the door and crossed over to the stable. He found the sack of toys under some straw and opened it to inspect the contents. Nicholas grinned at finding the playthings intact. He knew how much time and love the Elfarim spent in crafting them, and he did not want to see them destroyed by Krampus or his soldiers. Slinging the sack over his back, Nicholas rushed back inside. We owe you a great debt for protecting these, he said to Jude. Rachel, we should go. Bless you, Rachel said, giving Jude a grateful hug. This will mean so much to my father. Nicholas headed up the stairs to the roof, and Rachel followed. Where are you going, Jude said, following them. My horse is without the walls, Rachel said. I will return shortly. Upon reaching the rooftop, Rachel smiled at Nicholas, who bowed and gestured for her to lead the way. Rachel leapt, but her landing on the next roof was off balance. She teetered backwards, swinging her hands around to try and regain her balance. Alarmed, Nicholas ran and leapt with all his might. This time the wind not only supported him, but accelerated him towards her, and he caught her just as she was about to fall into the alley below. Rachel sighed with relief as he steadied her and landed. How did you catch me? Rachel asked, perplexed. I have no idea, Nicholas replied. But it seemed the winds inside and are blowing in my favor. They certainly are, Rachel said. The only challenge now is for you to keep up. Rachel smiled mischievously, taking a running start and leapt to the next roof. Making sure he stayed close, Nicholas got a good start and landed on the roof next to her. His load and balance intact. Rachel grinned at him, and the moonlight ballet continued. 
They arrived at the wall in plenty of time. Rachel descended the rope first, repelling and sliding down to safety before Nicholas began his descent. As he stood watching her, he realized that he was looking down from a great height, and he had not even thought twice about it. It was as if he was standing on solid ground without even a care. Once she reached the bottom, Rachel silently waved, signaling to Nicholas it was all clear. Preparing to descend, Nicholas grabbed the rope with one hand and slung the sack of toys over his shoulder with the other. He stepped to the edge of the wall and leaned back. Just as he swung over the edge, the rope snapped. Nicholas! Rachel screamed. Tumbling backwards, eyes wide, Nicholas could hardly believe his luck. After all he had done to overcome his fear, now he truly was falling, and there was nothing he could do about it. He was falling like a rock. Then the wind rushed in it. Everything slowed down. Nicholas felt like a leaf falling from a great tree as he gently floated to the ground. He turned and regained his footing, riding the wind as he did before and landing with a gentle slide on the ground before a dumbfounded Ben laying the sack of toys before him. What manner of mischief is this? Ben said. I have no idea, but I am beyond grateful, Rachel said as she wrapped her arms around Nicholas. As am I, Nicholas said with a sigh of relief as he held Rachel close. "'Tis the fur of Nignard the Swift, Daniel proudly proclaimed. Fur, Nicholas asked. Your cloak, Ben said. He must have lined it with the fur, fur that was to be held in reserve for a time of great need. He needed it, Daniel defended. It was for him. Are you saying this? Nicholas pulled up the edge of his cloak, holding out the fur. This is the reason I can float like that? Aye, Ben said. It came from a deer of the guardian herd. It imbues the wearer with the deer's powers. And few there be that enjoy such privileges. Ben looked back at Daniel with a restrained glare and smiled, still under Cupid's influence. But there is no time for us to talk now. Her cry has given us away. We must be off before those filthy Romans find us. Well, whatever, f Father, Daniel asked. We had to leave him behind, Nicholas said, somewhat embarrassed that they came back empty-handed. But we will free him. That is not important right now, Rachel said. What is important is that we fight this injustice. Oh, I am more than ready, Nicholas said, drawing his sword from Apollo's saddle. Not with a sword, Rachel said. She reached into the toy sack, pulled out a toy wagon, and held it in front of Nicholas. With these... The power of a child's heart is greater than any army. All it needs is hope. And with that hope, we will fan the flames of a thousand generations. This is how we defy them. This is how we fight. Then fight we shall, Nicholas said, seizing the sack and holding it up, for every heart in Sidon. I and the men of Alpharim will help you, Ben said, provided we escape. Now shall we go? We shall, Nicholas said and return in two nights' time to begin this fight. May it be so, Rachel said with love in her eyes as she mounted Lily, and may the fires of hope burn bright. As she rode away, Nicholas could not help but admire that girl. Nothing stopped her, and she seemed to possess more wisdom than half the magi he had known. This was a girl he could spend a lifetime with. He never wanted to disappoint her in any way, and he knew her fight, as unusual as it was, had merit.
Oh, smitten one, Ben said, pointing to a pair of foot soldiers on the horizon, heading their way. Romans! Oh, yes, Nicholas said as he mounted Apollo. We must go. At last it sinks in, Ben said, rolling his eyes. Now keep your wits about you and try to follow. Ben rode off in a glowing flash on Comet, a blur of light that blew past the Roman soldiers, knocking them to the ground. He hates being near Cupid, Daniel said. Nicholas shook his head and chuckled. On to glory, Nicholas ordered Apollo, and the horse took off at a fast gallop as Daniel leapt ahead on Cupid. The soldiers were still dazed and trying to regain their bearings as Nicholas and Daniel blew past them in a trail of dust, riding on toward the distant mountains. Nicholas was unsure as to how Ben leveled the soldiers, but he had to respect the formidable foe he was to all that opposed him. As he and Daniel rode through the foothills, Nicholas admired how swift the reindeer were even while carrying the riders. They seemed to fly no matter what their powers were, especially Comet, who was now nothing more than a glowing dart light darting up the mountain in the pre-dawn light of early morning. When they reached the warren, Ben was already asleep. Nicholas, too, felt the fatigue of the night catch up with him. He found the new bed the Elfarim had constructed for him and settled down for a long nap. In what felt like forever, and yet in no time at all, Nicholas found himself wandering in a snow-covered forest in the midst of a heavy snowstorm. He could just make out some light on the other side of a narrow mountain pass. He pressed towards it through the swirling white, the walls of the pass getting higher. The pathway narrowed until it was just wide enough for one person to move forward. Though he was unsure of where the path would take him, he felt a deep urge to press on and move toward the bright light that shone ahead of him through the narrow gap of the pass. Finally, he reached the other side of the pass and the storm broke. Sunshine and blue skies showed down on green slopes and rolling grassy hills punctuated with stands of ancient fir trees. Snowy peaks and storms seemed to ring the entire valley. At the center of the valley stood the biggest, most majestic fir of them all, with dozens of glowing orbs dangling from its branches. A spring of water flowed from the base of the tree and cascaded down some rocks to a deep pool of crystal blue water. Peacefully grazing near the pool and surrounding the tree was a large herd of reindeer, and in their midst stood the woman in white. Nicholas hurried down the hill and headed towards the woman. The deer instinctively cleared a path and bowed as he passed. The woman smiled as he approached. In her hands, she held a large empty sack of dark brown leather embroidered with a decorative scrollwork and a golden drawstring. I see you bear the crimson cap, the woman said. Well done, Nicholas. I have felt your noble heart over great distances. It beats strong and true in defense of the innocent. This, she said, handing the bag to Nicholas, is my gift to you. May it serve you well in your journeys. My journeys, Nicholas said as he took the bag. To the children. Use it to carry all your wonders and marvels, for the bag is endless. Who are you? Are you a messenger of the gods? Or a goddess? The woman laughed. All will be revealed in time, upon your return. My return? Farewell. Nicholas was drawn up and away, losing sight of the woman in white as he was pulled back into the mountain pass and the blinding snowstorm. 
Then Nicholas was back in the warren, standing beside his bed with snow in his hair, and he was holding the endless bag. Spooked, Nicholas dropped the bag. How is it possible? He must have been sleepwalking and picked up the bag from somewhere in the warren. That had to be it. Intent on finding answers, he brushed the snow off and woke Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Nicholas said with a bit of hysteria in his voice as he shook the little man into consciousness. Jeremiah, wake up! Jeremiah stirred and rubbed his eyes. What is that? Nicholas said, pointing to the bag. Where did this come from? Jeremiah said, now very awake. He picked up the bag and inspected it. I was hoping you could tell me, Nicholas said. I must have walked in my sleep and taken it from somewhere in the warren. Jeremiah looked around the room, then he spotted Nicholas' sword. May I see your blade? It was an odd request, but Nicholas was willing to go along with it and handed him the sword in its sheath. Jeremiah took the sword, then handed the bag to Nicholas. Now, hold the bag open with both hands, Jeremiah instructed. The little man unsheathed the sword and suddenly threw the exposed blade tip down in the bag with all his might. Have you lost your mind, Nicholas said? You could damage the... Where is it? The sword had disappeared in the bag. It was nowhere to be seen. Nicholas panicked. What have you done? Did Rachel put you up to this? The noise woke Daniel and Caleb, who sat up and wandered over to see what was the matter. Be at ease, brother, Jeremiah said. Your blade is still there. Watch. Jeremiah reached into the blackness at the bottom of the bag and pulled out the sword. Daniel and Caleb watched in awe. Can it be? Caleb said. It is, Jeremiah said. Nicholas took the blade and inspected it for damage, dropping the bag to the ground. The point was good. No breaks or cracks anywhere. How is it done? Nicholas asked. This, Jeremiah said with a smile of satisfaction, is an endless bag. You fill it with an endless number of things and it keeps them from harm or damage until you call for them. How do you call for them, Nicholas said, growing more intrigued as he watched Caleb put his hand in the black void at the bottom of the bag, which lay flat against the ground like a curious child. First, place anything you like in the bag, Jeremiah added. Can I put Caleb in the bag? Nicholas asked with a mischievous look in his eye. Caleb immediately pulled his hand out of the void. I think not, Caleb said with offense. Rufus the Loss entered a bag once, and he was never found again. Ah, that is nothing more than a children's fable, Jeremiah said. That said, I would only place non-living objects in the bag, just to be safe. If we must, Nicholas said, somewhat disappointed as he grinned at Caleb. Taking one of his boots, Nicholas picked up the bag and dropped the boot inside. As soon as the boot hit the black void at the bottom, it sunk into the blackness and disappeared without a sound. Where does it go, Nicholas said. The bag is holding it, Jeremiah said. Now, reach with your hand in and concentrate on the item you wish to retrieve and it will come into your hand. Nicholas was a bit hesitant about placing his trust in this mysterious bag, but he reached in the blackness and watched his hand disappear. Then he thought about his boot and felt it enter his hand. He pulled it out and there it was. Do you see, Jeremiah said. I've never seen anything like it, Nicholas said, a bit stunned. 
One of these bags appeared with each of the tri-spheres, Jeremiah said. They have been missing for hundreds of years. How did you find one? It was handed to me, Nicholas said reluctantly, in a dream, I think. A dreamwalker, Caleb gasped. Only a dreamwalker can pass objects through a dream. By now the rest of the Elfarim were awake and gathering around. Nicholas had no idea what Caleb was talking about, but he did want to know how this happened. It was not natural, and he needed an explanation. Perhaps, Nicholas said with some skepticism, it was given to me by a woman in a white robe. She told me to use it to carry my wonders and marvels to the children. She said the bag was endless. She knew, Nicholas realized. Then he grew even more puzzled. Who is she? Someone with whom you share a bond, Jeremiah said. Nevertheless, there has not been a dreamwalker among the Alpharim for generations. Who cares where it came from? I say we use the bag, Ben said. It will help the deer with our burdens. Is that wise, Caleb said? We have no idea who gave this bag to Nicholas. It could be a trick meant to destroy us. Now who has doubts, Ben said, grinning. I think we should use it. She appeared in my dreams before, Nicholas said, when I was wounded. I think she is trying to help. Well, if you believe it is for good, Jeremiah said, perhaps it is. Then let us fill the bag with our wonders and marvels, Nicholas said, and take them to the children of Sidon. The men loudly agreed, even Caleb. Everyone hurried to take care of their daily chores and went directly to the workshop after the morning meal to create more playthings. Daniel and Jeremiah, however, wanted to take Nicholas outside to show him something. Jeremiah handed Nicholas a blanket as they walked up the steps and out to a fresh snowfall. A blanket of white rested on everything, and the sun made it all sparkle like diamonds. It was all so peaceful and pure. Daniel led the way across the snowy landscape, past several fir trees, when he raised his hand to stop the other two. What are we... Nicholas started to say, Shh, Daniel said, trying to hush Nicholas. He pointed to a small fir tree, surrounded by a variety of forest animals not more than 20 yards away. The tree was decorated with apples, pomegranates, and mana cookies tied to the branches from which the animals eat. Did you do this? Nicholas whispered. Aye, Daniel replied. Hundreds of years ago, Jeremiah said, the animals of the forest led our people through a snowy mountain pass to the northern kingdom. Since that time, we show our gratitude each winter by sharing the goodness of life with our animal friends during their time of need. We call it a tree of life. Though no one knows for certain who started this tradition, it is a legacy of love that continues to fill our hearts with a spirit of thanksgiving to this day. A wonderful tradition, Nicholas said, shivering from the cold. I am grateful you have shown this to me. Uh, now can we return to the warmth of the warren? I, I was, was not looking for p praise, Daniel said. He was thinking of the people of Sidon in their need, Jeremiah said. Would not such trees fill the people with hope and joy also? They would, Nicholas exclaimed. What a marvelous idea, brother! <laughs> Krampus will rue the day he crossed paths with the Elfarim. Soon, Nicholas had Ben and Daniel cutting down small firs and dragging the trees inside, where Caleb and Jeremiah made wooden stands for them. 
Amos and Enos decorated the trees with food and goodies and then lowered them into the endless bag where each one disappeared. Though the bag bulged with the contents, it never grew heavier and there was always space for more. And that is the end of part two of Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Kennelly. Chapter seven, part two, to be sure. We're so glad that you could join us and I'm so grateful that you came back. And just remember until next time, be strong, be kind, and share the hope.